So, the devotees sponsoring the program asked me to give a talk about something in particular, and they were going to publicize it, but it didn't so happen that that happened. But at any rate, I did pick out a topic, something of Nam Dharma, about Kirtan. You told me to say something about Kirtan. So, we'll talk a little bit about that. We have all heard, of course, that Kirtan, singing the names of God, is very efficacious for Kali Yuga. And this is not so much of a sectarian statement from our particular sect as it is more a emphasis by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu on a universal, from a religious point of view, and even from a secular point of view, principle. If we look at sound and we look at names, how the name of God, for example, is thought of in all religious traditions, practically all of them, and how sound is important to us in everyday life, then we can come to perhaps a better appreciation of the universality of this principle that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu sought to drive home and make the uh, central focus of his entire dispensation, Nam Kirtan. Because we may, as, as I say, think of it more of something that our sect propagates and see it in a sectarian light, but that's not really the, the fact. With regard to sound, of course, sound is one thing that the modern technological world hasn't exploited to a large extent in comparison to fire or water or earth, the ether and far-reaching effects of sound have not been investigated in, in as much depth, it seems. But it's very practical. We can appreciate that sound is important, vital. In fact, the functions of the mind, in a very, very basic sense, are twofold. Sankalpa vikalpa, putting together ideas, thoughts, into ideas, plans, and so forth, and taking them apart dismantling them, some called the Vikalpa, and each of these is influenced or is driven really by sound. So our whole mental system is very much affected by what we hear, what we speak and what we hear. And uh, everyone knows that in a military campaign, if we can take over the sound waves, then we can control the country. In other words, when the invaders come, if this is one of the main objectives, is to get hold of the radios and the communication systems, the sound waves, and then broadcast who's in charge and what the what the rules will be. So, in many practical ways, we can appreciate the importance of sound in our lives, although we probably don't think about it very much. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu thought about it. The Vedic Rishis thought about it very deeply. And they put a lot of emphasis on sound, so much so that it's, it's said in those circles, in circles of the rishis, that seeing is really about hearing. Darshan, seeing, is hardly unrelated to hearing. It's said that the Vaishnav sees with his or her ears. And, of course, according to the Vedic worldview, the whole world itself is a product of sound. The Brahma in each and every universe who manifests that universe does so 
each particular universe does so through mantra in consideration of the karmic tendencies latent in the jivas, in the susupti, in the deep sleep before creation. He takes his birth on the, seated on the lotus and he hears a sound, tapa, tapa, these two syllables. Tapa means, it actually means knowledge, tapa. It means austerity, but austerity also brings knowledge. That means to say that when we consciously restrain ourselves physically from being in touch with sense objects, then we, or unconsciously for that matter, when we're in that situation, we're forced to think more. If you're in a difficult situation, very austere, it's too cold, there's not enough food, and lost on a desert island, or what may be the case, then you, you have to start to resolve the problem philosophically <laughs> to think more. So the more active we are sensually in touch with the sense objects, the less we will think about things. That deadens our thinking and the, and the, and the depths, the reach, the breadth of our thoughts and examination as to what it is we're about and what it is we're involved in. So tapa, he did tapa, he did austerity, and what happened from that is he got knowledge, divyasarasati, gave him Gopal Mantra. This is recorded in Brahma Sanghita. So from that tapa, divyasarasati gave Gopal Mantra, and then from that, the corresponding Gayatri is the Kam Gayatri, and he heard that through the flute sound of Krishna's fifth note. In this way, he was empowered to create. Brahma is an example of Karma Mishra Bhakti, so he's the primary example of what we sometimes call dovetailing. So he had a propensity for mixing it up with the world, creating. And through the diksha mantras that he received, then he became effective with regard to his desire, but in such a way that over time he became enlightened in all the truths of the Vedic wisdom. He envisioned the Goloka, Govindam Purusham Tamam Pajami. So sound, very important from the Vedic point of view. And as I say in general, we could probably make many, give many examples of how important sound is to us in everyday life and how little we think about it. But the Rishis, my point is, is that they thought about it. They played this out and they considered that the whole world comes from sound, and that whole world, material existence, that can be retired also by sound. Vedanta Sutra concludes, anavritihi shabda, anavritihi shabda. It means that going there, literally means going there, one never returns because of the word, because of the shabda. Vedanta Sutra and Vedanta course is about transcending material life. And the idea is having done so, one never comes back. Anabhati Shabdana. And because the words because of the word. Anabhati Shabda. Because of the word. So that may be thought of in different ways. Because of the word, because the word is the Shruti, the Upanishad. And that is the Praman in the spiritual circles. The Pramana that means the evidence is revealed sound in the form of the Veda. So 
Therefore, when we speak in such circles, we cite from the Veda, the Shruti, the Smriti, as may be the case, to support our point. This is the principal pramana. We should note on the side that while the Veda is considered to be the principal pramana, it's not the only pramana. It's not the only way of knowing. Pratyaksha, sense perception, is also a way of knowing. Anuman, logical exercise, is also a way of knowing. So these aren't counted out, but light is shed on their limitations from the Vedic Purman. So we're not to stop thinking and deny everything that we perceive with our senses. But we can't get comprehensive knowledge of the nature of being and existence from these alone. But from the Shruti we can. However, that is not so easy to do because the Vedic sound, actually it exists on four levels. The visible level, Baikarika it's called, is the sound of the Veda itself, the mantra. But this is only uh, the surface meaning. So we can go into the Veda, for example, with our intelligence and we can read so many Upanishads and so many statements and so forth and we can come to a logically, it seems, conclusion that this is hardly a conclusive body of knowledge. In fact, it may look like it was compiled at different times by different persons or differing opinions in there and it doesn't match with things in our present day experience and so forth. But this, again, the idea of the Vedic, it is mentioned in Bhagavatam itself, Srimad Bhagavatam, that the Vedic sound is very difficult to understand. Four levels. So the spoken level that we're mostly acquainted with is very, very superficial. Other levels correspond with different chakras. What is the navel chakra called? Manipur and then heart chakra. Anahata and these three, one, two, three, these sounds. So, Madhima Pashanti Para, different levels of understanding sounds. So, as these chakras are activated, awakened, then we can understand those Vedic sounds, that jungle of sounds, as Sridhar sometimes called it, in greater depth. So, it's a mystical body of, of knowledge. When we just look at it as the books, then we tend to assault it with our mind and intellect and make it less than what it is. This is the very nature of the mind, is to take the divine descent and to take the life out of it by subjecting it, attempting to subject it to something that it itself is superior to. Theoretically, the divine, the soul itself, what to speak of God or manifestations of the Godhead in this world, are superior to in nature, categorically different and superior in nature to mind and intellect. So they don't have to answer to them. When we insist that they answer to our intellect, then we find difficulty there. We'll be stunted or frozen. We'll be unable to go forward. We'll be held back if we examine these things only with intellect. Therefore, hearing the Vedic sound, we, we sometimes there's repetition on uh, there's emphasis, excuse me, on repetition. Sometimes there's emphasis on repetition. And we may wonder why so many times isn't the quality is more important than the quantity. And there's some truth to that. Just like we're given a number of times to chant Harinam and so forth, or different Diksha mantras. And, but the 
this is very practical, this repetition, because we are all moving in the world based on certain impressions. We they call in Sanskrit sangskars, impressions on the soul that make us prone towards one thing or another. We think it's our own thing, <laughs> our own life, but these are just impressions from previous lives that cause us to move in a particular way, have a particular tendency to appreciate a particular type of music or not, and so forth and so on. And these Vedic uh, mantras, they also create an impression. It's just like if you have a stone and you take a rope and you put the rope across the stone. If I take a stone and rub a rope across it, you won't see anything. But if I do that for a long time, then the stone will start to have some impression from that rubbing of the rope. So f repeatedly, this l now we cannot see clearly. We're like in a dark room, so we cannot make out exactly what's at the other end. And we may think about what it is, it may appear to be one thing when it's actually something else, but by the Vedic sound, by mantra, then gradually the two things happen. The previous sangskars are cleared, that is the darkness, avidya, ignorance. And then a certain impression is created whereby we can see clearly. This whole idea of initiation, the, the diksha mantra is given, then an impression, a sangskar for bhakti is created. And then we have to build upon that. So advice is given, and much with regard to repetition of the mantra, nam prabhu, and so forth. So the rishis have exploited this idea, or they have thought deeply about it, let's say, sound and its efficacy, its importance. And among sounds, the name of God has been given emphasis. Nikila Shruti Mole Ratnamala. Rupa Goswami has given a nice statement in his first verse of his Namastakam. Nikila Shruti Moli. Ratnamala, that the whole of the root shruti, the mul, the core, the essential Upanishads, they have been compared to a mala of gems. And these gems are giving off light. And where are they shining that light? On the name of Krishna. It means that, this is the opinion of Rupa Goswami, that the Vedas are very broad in their scope in terms of the knowledge offered there. Many sounds, as I said before, Sridhar Marsh once called the jungle of sounds, so to sort it all out, this is very difficult. With good help, for example, the help of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we can sort it all out. And it comes to this, of all sounds, this sound, the sound of the name of God, and then we can go from name of God to Krishna Nam. This is most glorious, most efficacious, from this one sound, all things can come. From the lowest to the highest. Now, with regard to religious traditions, as I mentioned earlier, this is not a, um, a foreign idea that the name of God has power. Even in the secular world, names have power. In previous times, people wouldn't give out their name very easily. Nowadays, also. But names have been replaced with social security numbers for example. So you don't give out your social security number very easily. Why? Because you can be controlled by that. If they know your social security number, they can get every bit of information about you. The numbers have replaced names, but it's the same principle. By knowing the name, you can find out everything. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the idea. Actually, theology, the term theology comes from the Greeks, of course. And it, it, it means nowadays theologica. It means a kind of a divine science, the logic of, of divinity. But at the time of, that the term came out, it was actually used in relation to names of gods. The Greeks had, of course, many gods, gods, and they had a particular type of person, priestly type of person, who was designated for calling the names of gods. He was a theologian, and then he would call specific names at specific times to invoke the influences of specific gods for specific purposes. And this was really the sum and substance of what religion was about to the Greeks. So, again, this principle is not... Uh, it's, it's really quite universal, even in a secular sense, as I say. And how important is name-giving to the parents? Sometimes parents ask me, who are my disciples, if I would name their child. I usually say no, because I know how much they really want to give, <laughs> give a name, naturally so. And, of course, in times gone by, these names more so than today, far more so, corresponded with, with the person. So there was a time at which it was more readily believed, or understood, I should say, that sound and name corresponds with object and so forth. We're getting a little bit uh, perhaps away from that in the, in the modern society. But again, people now have a number, and if you know that number that is their name tag, and you can find out everything about them. So if you know the name of God, you really know the name of God. And this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught, how to know the name of God. And you can know everything about God. And although it's good, as I say, to chant and chant a lot, mechanical chanting will take a long time in terms of knowing what is the, the fullness in the name. And this is, again, something that practically all religious traditions accept. In the Jewish faith, I believe the name is considered so sacred that you cannot utter it. They wouldn't even allow it to be written down for fear that the paper it was written on might be thrown away and abused. And uh, I think Paul in the Bible, in the New Testament, followed through on that by giving such emphasis on the name of Jesus. By that name, he'd be, he would be saved and so forth. It's there in every tradition amongst the various saints in the 15th 16th century India and earlier also to some extent but around that time around the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu there was a great kind of bhakti movement Advaitins of Shankar had and the smartest had more of a monopoly on religion and the Advaitins of course teach that as per Shankara Acharya, that one has to take birth in a Brahmin family and take sannyas to get mukti. But there was a kind of rebellion to this with the idea behind it that God was more accessible to the people, since that people in general, souls in general, had more, that God would be more accessible to them. So the bhakti movements that catered to this, or they answered to this, they, they voiced this. And so many of them with emphasis on name. Guru Nanak, Kabir. Kabir was a, 
very famous mystic poet. These, of course, are called Nirgun Brahma, Nirgun Nam sects. These are sects that gave great emphasis on the name of God, but they saw this name as a means. They saw the names of God, many that they may be Hari, Ram, Krishna, to be a means to attain the nameless name. So there was a, a nirgun idea of transcendence. Nirgun means without qualities, without qualities, without lila, the nameless name, the eternal substance, Brahman, really, in, in our language. But they chanted, and they were very much Kabir. You've all heard of Kabir, very famous. So many of his poems full of descriptions of the glories of the name. Nothing was more important to him than the name of Ram in terms of a, a spiritual practice, taking the name of Ram. And uh, Guru Nanak for the Sikh mission also, who tried to unite the Hindus and the, and the Muslims. He saw each more or less absorbed in superficial aspects of the tradition that the founders of those traditions essentially came to to speak about. So what did he do? What did he draw on? He drew on the name for both sects and emphasized Satnam. And Guru Nanak met Mahaprabhu, he said, in Jagannath Puri also. So there was this sector, uh, Namdev, and then uh, this Guru Nanak, Kabir, and so forth. Then you have Mahaprabhu's side, maybe Tukram in Maharashtra. Uh, had Sagun conception of um, these terms are not that clear because they mean different things to different people, and even in Vaishnavism they can be used in different ways. But by it here we mean, as opposed to Nirgun Nam, Sagun Nam means Nam has qualities, attributes that are eternal, Leela. Then we come to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the, the most prominent uh, advocate of Bhakti at the time and Nam, who made a dharma out of the Nam. Not that Kabir or Nanak didn't, or others before them, to one extent or another, but the difference in one sense between what Mahaprabhu did and what they did is that Mahaprabhu, his followers, they really developed this idea in great detail. So we have a whole theology of the name Nam Dharma, very extensive, so much literature and so forth with regard to its Ontologi- Nam's ontological position, and it's, it developed over time, or it was revealed over time through the churning of what Mahaprabhu was about. The Nam was considered to be Nam Avatar, Varnabhutar, the Avatar in syllables, Varnabhutar. But this uh, was uh, an Avesh Avatar. This was a kind of a beginning idea that came out. But because Avesh Avatar, Means Avesh means empowered. Is that according to the Gaudiya theology, the Avesh Avataris comes and goes. So one may be possessed of the Shakti Avesh of an aspect of the Lord, Palana Shakti, the ruling potency, for example, is Pritu, Gyan Shakti, Vyasadev, Bhakti Shakti, Narada. When Om Vishnupad Bhakti Rakshidadev Goswami Maharaj said, that he thought that Swami Prabhupada Bhaktivedanta was Shaktyavish. He made a bold statement after the disappearance of, of our Prabhupada. 
Yes, I, uh, I see, vision, see him as Shaktivesh. And the Yajabar Maharaj, a good friend of Sridhar Maharaj, had said the same thing in Vrindavan, perhaps a little bit earlier, but he may have heard it from Sridhar Maharaj himself, who, when asked to speak about the disappearance of Prabhupada, supplied this readily idea. A shocking idea, in one sense. None of us would have ventured to volunteer such a thing, such an idea. Of course, now it's taken and everyone likes to say it. They don't like to think maybe where it, where it came from, unfortunately. But anyway, it came from Siddhar Maharaj, a very spiritually scientific mind he had. And this was his analysis. And his disciple, Govinda Maharaj, asked at one point, You said that Swami Maharaj is Sarktavesh. What uh, type of Avesh? A very nice question. And Siddhar Maharaj was not without an answer. It was well thought out, realized. I should say. He said, and then he began to describe how Prabhupada's movements, activities, his preaching campaign, and so forth was analogous in so many ways to the campaign of Nityananda Prabhu, as opposed to that of Rupa, Sanatan, Jiva Goswami, Raghunath Das Goswami, who all were moved by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in different ways for a comprehensive movement to do different things. Nityananda Prabhu moved in a particular way. So he made so many comparisons substantiated, so to speak, in our eyes. We were very satisfied. Yes, Nityananda Avesh. So this Avesh can come and it can retract the Lord in powers at a particular time when he's finished with what he wanted to do. Using that Vaishnava in a particular way, he may withdraw, like Parshuram is um, Shakti Avesh. So who did he fight with? Ram, and he was defeated by Ram. That Dandavish was withdrawn. So, because this Avesh has the possibility of coming and going, the original kind of idea that Harinam Prabhu was Avesh Avatar in the Gaudiya theology as it was evolving. This Gaudiya theology, in one sense, of course, is, is eternal, and what, but it, as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu manifested, and began to reveal himself. What he was about, the depth of his, the significance of his appearance, was gradually uncovered by the devotees. For example, one of the things that was uncovered by the devotees was, is very interesting. The idea was, of course, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna. This developed because they had never seen bhakti of that kind. And the kind of bhakti that he was distributing, that was possessed only by Krishna himself, so it was only his prerogative to give that out. So Rupa Goswami, naturally, uh, he could understand. Therefore, Namo Mahavadanaya, Krishna Prema Pradayate, Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya Namne Gaurati You must be Krishna himself, because you're giving what only Krishna can give. So gradually this developed. And one of the things that developed, well, if, if Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself, then he must have, where are his associates? And, of course, they realized, we're his associates. It's us. <laughs> Imagine their experience. Identifying Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Krishna and themselves then, having a glimpse from Mahaprabhu's grace, what is their position in relation to Krishna and the Leela. So the whole thing was unfolding gradually and trying to make sense out of it. This was the position of the Goswamis. They made sense out of it. The Goswamis... Under their direction, Kaviraj Goswami, Vrindavan Das Thakur, Kavi Karnapur, they wrote so many books. 
explain the significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and of Harinam Prabhu, which was always on his tongue. And when the idea came, Harinam is Avesh, Avatar, is empowering the syllables. This was nice, but not enough. Because Avesh can come and can go. So gradually it developed that Krishna and Krishna Nam, they spoke about it in this way, as the one and the same, non-different. So here we have a developed idea from the Nirgun Brahma. Because in the Nirgun Nam sector that I talked about earlier at the time, they saw a difference, some difference between the names of God and the name, the unnamed. But the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was teaching us the name, Vinatvam Nam Namino. Nam Naman Namenor Abhed. The name and the named are Abhed, Adwet. Same. Non different. Name and named. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching takes it even further than that. How much further can we go? If we take if we exalt the name of God to the extent that we theologize and philosophize and demonstrate from Scripture, that the name is non-different from the Absolute, from God. How can we go any further than that? But Rupa Goswami went even further than that. The name and named are non-different, nam and nami, but if we look more closely, we find there's also a difference. And what is the difference? That the named, the name, excuse me, the name is more merciful than the named. This is, a, again, a nam dharma. This is really a religion of the name. There is no tradition that takes this universal principle about sound and name and their significance within a religious circle or consideration, from a secular to a religious, takes this principle further than the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, giving more deference to the name than the named. I've said this before. We hear sometimes, oh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came 500 years ago. Krishna came 5,000 years ago. And we may think, if only I was there then, how fortunate I would be. But we have not understood Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. Nam Prabhu is here now. <laughs> and we are here. And Nam has been given to us. If we take advantage and pay attention, what will be our fortune? Jaidev Goswami said a nice thing, beautiful prayer, O Hari, O Hari Nam. You know Jaidev Goswami wrote the Gita Govinda, precursor to Mahaprabhu's appearance. Mahaprabhu loved so much the writings of Jaidev, taking the theology to focus on the worshipable, the venerable object of God. As I said before, all religions teach that God is the most venerable object, but we teach what is the venerable object of God? The Radha Padaseva. You know the famous story of how he wrote that line in his Gita Govinda when he was in his bhajan of writing. It's a kind of kirtan, this writing, as understood by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur and spoken of by Rupa Goswami too. If we take that statement of Rupa Goswami to its limits as played out by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasati Thakur, we get a dynamic idea of kirtan, utilizing everything, yukta-vairagyam ucchate, nirbandha krishna sammande yukta-vairagyam. So he took the printing press, and 
computer or these things and turned it into a drum for kirtan, a very concentrated form of kirtan, this writing. So Jayadev was involved in this writing, Gita Govinda, and envisioning the Leela. And at some point in the Leela, he saw Krishna bowing to Radha and touching her feet. And he thought, how can it be? This is the Supreme God. And so you know the story, I believe. He left the room, thought he was going mad, went out. His wife was cooking. Krishna came in, appearing like her husband, Padmavati's husband, Jayadev. Where's the dinner? Gave dinner, went into his room. Then the real Jayadev came in, and his wife was eating. He says, well, how come you've begun eating and I didn't come? She said, what do you mean? You came, you ate, you're crazy. He said, I am crazy. And then he went to look at his book where he'd been writing and it was penned in what his realization was. Then he could understand Krishna had come and written the line himself. So Mahabharata took much from Jayadev's Gita Govind. He identified with that. This is our religion, he said. It hadn't been systematized into a sampradaya and a whole theology. Mahabharata came to do that through Madhavendra Puri, Ishwar Puri, Sri Chaitanya, and the Goswamis, and so forth. But he said, Jaidev, O Hari, Nam, from, from a sadhu you enter my ears and into my heart, and from my ears to my heart, tears to my eyes pour down to the ground and soften the clay in which my footprints go so that others can know to follow my way. So Harinam Prabhu is like this, aggressive. He has an agenda. This this kind of compassion. Prabhupada said once, I came to your country as an aggressor. When I thought of that, I thank you very much. <laughs> Come after us. So Nam Prabhu, like this, that Krishna is absorbed in his Leela. At a certain point in his Leela, the deepest penetration into his of his Leela where he wants to understand what it is about him that attracts others. We will find that knowing ourself much depends upon knowing what others think about us because we are what we are in relation to others. Materially speaking, this is entirely the case. We are what we are in relation to others whom we are attached to. Our attachments, that which we call mine, that is our attachment, our attachment to friends, to family, and so forth. The composite of those attachments is what we are, materially speaking. When Krishna said to Arjuna, the first thing he said in Bhagavad Gita, observe all of these gurus. Arjuna had asked him, draw the chariot up so that I can see who's here and what the evil-minded sons of Dhritarashtra, what they're up to. When Krishna drew the chariot up, he said, just see all the Kurus assembled here. Krishna changed the equation. He said, there's not the sons of Dhritarashtra and, and your group. It's all your, they're all yours. <laughs> it's all your family. He stopped in front of Bhishma and Drona, of the principal attachments, the fellows who personified most the attachments of Arjuna. So the first thing that Krishna revealed, what? Not Manjaribhav, but Maitunyabhav. Maitunyabhav means like ball and chain. It means that which is holding us back from flying in the sky as high as we can fly. 
in all of our hearts there's capacity to fly in the spiritual sky in a particular way, in a particular shade of love. And it's sweet to hear about such things, but we'll never know that without cutting ourselves loose from the ball and chain. This is the first thing God will reveal, our attachments. And then when we ignore them and go fill our head up with philosophy, <laughs> we go nowhere. We think we've gone nowhere, so it's even worse. We think we've gone somewhere, but we filled our heads, heads up with so much religious dogma, and it's pretty good stuff. We can spit it out to others, and people think we know something. And we feel that we've really gone somewhere. But it's not a fact. <laughs> In fact, we've gone backwards, gone into a negative position, because previously we thought we didn't know, and we were right. Now we think we know. We wanted to know what was the meaning of life, and we had some sukriti for, for bhakti and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission. So an agent of Mahaprabhu came to us and helped us. There was some, how you say, it resonated. He or she spoke, and we listened, and it all made sense to us. It made me more sense even than it made before. Now I'm here again in this particular way. So we're happy, because we feel some solace. We wanted to know. Now we know, but the problem is then we just get on with our life. We don't really know until or to the extent that we put that all in, in practice. And this is the beginning. So many nuances of the scripture are there to be understood in different ways by different sects and appreciated and so forth. And we may banter about them and discuss and argue and politely about the differences and so forth. But really, the important thing is, is to deal with these attachments in the very beginning. And of course... I'm not trying to choke you. And Krishna doesn't do that in Bhagavad Gita, therefore he gives us a system for going about it gradually, relative to our eligibility, our adhikar. And a proper teacher, of course, will do so as well. But this is the crux. If you cut that bond, then you can lift off. And what possibilities are there in the sky of your heart, that will become known. Then there's something to do there. You do have to flap your wings and you have to fly. But you have to cut that, that chain. Om Nam Prabhu, Krishna Nam. He is aggressive. He has a, an agenda of his own. He makes it known to us. It is said amongst the offenses to the name that we should not maintain material attachment while chanting. It means what? It means if we take the name of Krishna sincerely, pay attention sincerely, it will become apparent to us, it will become known to us, oh, this is the problem, this is where I'm holding back. As it becomes known, then we should retire that. That means we should work on that, that, is, that should be focused on. It may be not easy to retire, but it has to be retired, otherwise it will haunt us into the next life. Again, the problem will remain. There's a deal with it in this life, then, oh, in next life, so easy it will be. What we are struggling with now, if we meet that on, head on, and head on means what? Not that we are able to do battle with that, that attachment, conquer it, like a Zen Buddhist with a big head. No, not like that. Or a big jnani studying the Upanishads, sorting it all out, and understanding it, the attachment and 
divorcing, cutting myself from... No, not like that. By crying helplessly, by feeling helplessness. Helplessness, hopelessness, ashubandha, means hopeless. Hope beyond hope, it means that there's some, some hope beyond hope. It means when I get to the bottom of it all, I realize there is no hope for me in my condition. What to speak of the fact that I have material attachments? From a spiritual point of view, I'm defective. I'm tata, tatasta. I'm a product of my environment. I've been associated with matter since time immemorial, and I'm like matter. My movements are so limited. What I think I can do. <laughs> we all think birds can fly, fish can swim, humans can reason. Soul can do all of these things. The embodiment is, is inhibiting us such that we can only fly, only swim into the depths of the ocean, and only philosophize. <laughs> if the soul can awaken, we can do more than philosophize. That awakening comes from good association. If we can gradually see our prospect, then we have hope beyond hope. What is our hope? We're defective by nature because we're a tiny soul. It means we're prone to this condition. The sarup shakti is not prone to this. Mother Yashoda is not going to fall into Maya, Nanda Baba. Not these kind of souls, but our kind is in this predicament. We're prone to this because of our smallness and size. So what is our hope? We have hope beyond hope. In other words, when we find there is no hope, we get hope. When we realize there is no hope, then we invest all hope in Krishna Nam. We know Krishna is merciful by nature. And Nam Prabhu is the most merciful manifestation of Krishna. Therefore, I put all of my hopes in that. Not in a proud way, I'll chant, but humbly, crying like Jaidev. When we humble ourselves before Nam Prabhu, Mahaprabhu said, Dinada Pisuni Chena, Tarora Pisuni Stuna Manina Manadina Kirtaniya Sadahari. This kind of chanting, that will be effective. This is Nishta. Then one sees no prospect in life but this. Then Kirtaniya Sadahari, fixed. Then tears will come. Name has taken a seat there, dancing in the courtyard of the heart and making through the tears that he causes the ground to be soft so that others can follow in your way, in your footprints. Nam is aggressive, coming after us. As I said, Prabhupada said, I came to your country as an aggressor. Sankirtan has an agenda and we're on it. That is our good fortune. We're accustomed to making things part of our agenda. We shouldn't do this with Nam Prabhu, Gurudev, on our agenda. I have got a guru. My guru is great. My guru is the greatest guru. We can say that all day and night. That's good, but you're supposed to become great. If you really understand the greatness of your guru, then you understand what he teaches, why he teaches, what he teaches. I take those teachings to heart, and I become great by his grace. It's not enough. It may be nice, good to say, my guru is great, but it is not enough to say that. If we understand what it means, then we may not even have to say it so loudly. But we will exemplify ourselves for others. What is the greatness of our guru? And then they will understand, oh, yes. Amar guru, jagat guru. My guru is the jagat guru. This Sridhar said, this is a Kanishtarikari idea. So we should not make this Guru, Nam Prabhu, and so forth part of our agenda. In other words, 
that we become great just because we have a great guru. There's some truth to that, but what does it mean to have a guru? It means to be a disciple. Disciple means a discipline and all these things. That has to be taken up. So Nam has an agenda. We are on that agenda. As I say, we're accustomed in material life to making things part of our agenda and then pulling them out of our pocket when it's convenient. We gather knowledge to further our agenda. But this knowledge, we find, is of a different nature. It has an agenda. It's alive. And all that knowledge is fully represented in Nam, Harinam, Krishna Nam. So such an agenda Krishna Nam has. He comes to the world. You know the famous story, that very charming story that Siddhar Marsh gave. Two constables, policemen in India, having a discussion. One said, you know, it's really wonderful, we're really lucky, that Krishna is a thief. The other fellow said, what do you mean? That's the whole problem. We're policemen, and our God's a thief. And we're trying to get people to follow the law, and of course, especially today in India, <laughs> everyone's on the take, <laughs> bribing from the top level to the, to the street sweeper if you want to get anything done. So he said, this is the whole problem. Our God is a thief. Krishna is a thief. Makanchor. But a thief. Of course, if a thief steals from himself, then we just call that play. That is Krishna Leela. But not everybody understands Krishna Leela. So the fellow said, and rightly so, that's a problem. But the first fellow who volunteered the idea that it, that it was good and we're lucky that Krishna's a thief, he responded, no, we're lucky. Because why? He said, a thief doesn't care for high walls and locked doors. And that's exactly what we've erected around our heart, high walls, and we've locked the door. You see, just like you're listening to me, but you have high walls around your heart and the door is locked. And everything I'm saying, you're letting it go into your intellect. And then you're thinking about it. Maybe, that makes sense, okay. And if it makes sense, then you allow it to go down. You're guarding your heart with your intellect. Sometimes we just slip in anyway. <laughs> and the feeling behind the talking, that escapes your filter, your screen, your guard of intellect. Therefore, we should come and hear from saintly persons, even if it makes no sense to us. We should hear holy name. We should hear to talk about the holy name, even if we don't, don't, don't agree with it. It makes no sense. What will be the benefit? There's an invisible benefit to that on so many levels. It comes ultimately that Nam is <coughs> Krishna Leela, Guna, Rupa, all in that name. And the name is, is in the heart of the sadhu, and the sadhu is carrying the name and distributing the glories of the name. And when he speaks about Nam Prabhu, then his shares his heart with us. It's presented in a logical arrangement of words and so forth because we speak the language of logic at best in this world. But the transaction is a heart transaction. So although we're guarding our heart very carefully, Hari Nam Prabhu, and the good tidings of the Vaishnav, who gives Harinam Prabhu, slips past the intellect, through the ear into the heart, and some impression is created. To that constable, that policeman, he said to Krishna, Krishna, in the form of his name, 
He doesn't care for high walls. He goes right into the heart anyway. Even we are just walking on the street and people performing kirtan. Nambrabhu is going in. Now the effect doesn't take immediately. It takes time. But something is there. We may doubt about that. We doubt only because of our lack of experience. But we shouldn't doubt that there are those who have such experience. The, the Nam, Krishna Nam, is complete. Purna shuddha nityamukta vinatvam nam namino nama chintamani krishnas chetan narasavigraha They are not bluffing. Argosamis, acharjas, who have turned their back on the world. They have, are standing on firm ground, much firmer than the ground that we stand on, that in our own common English parlance we say is here today and gone tomorrow. Yet we're putting so much stock in that. This is because of our external, sensual, and mental orientation. And we have an external, sensual, and mental orientation to Namprabhu and to the descent of the divine current also. So we only scratch the surface of it. And we have doubt about it. This is why we have doubt about it. And this is why we don't make progress, because we don't have experience. But if we get good company and we're pushed, then we can get experience. And we keep pushing and get consistent experience in good company. This is this importance of sadhu sangha. It's like the fire. You could, cooking is done gradually, but everything has to be on the fire. If it's not on the fire, then it won't cook gradually. Fire means good company. Hmm? Sadhu sangha. Devotees association. That means for coming together for in a meaningful way. To share our hearts. How we wasted our day. How unhappy we are. And then we think about why. Is it not practical? We all want to be happy without any limitation. We are all unhappy without limitation, practically. Every now and then, then happiness is mitigated a little bit. This is very practical. Sadhusanga means we should come together and discuss how happy did I become today? How close am I to my goal? Therefore, how much I have to change becomes apparent in good company. And how far-reaching is the change, the effect brought about potentially by Harinam? We have to consider them. Mahaprabhu said, Shrotam apyupanishadam dure harikatamrita. Those statements of the Upanishads, they're very far from harikata. What, what can t- happen from saying, Aham brahmasmi, tattvamasi. What kind of change can come? from that. That will bring some change. But chanting the holy name of Krishna, that change is far from what this Harinam can bring about. And namnam akari bahuda nijasarva shakti tatvarpita niyamita smarane nakala Mahaprabhu said. The change it can bring about is great. And there are no rules attached to it. To chant the Vedic mantra, so many rules are attached to that. But Krishna Nam going everywhere, asking nothing, creating faith in himself, then increasing that faith and selling himself to that proportionate to our faith. So, in this way, it is very reasonable that the Goswamis have concluded to place emphasis on Krishna Nam. And Nam means name, name of God and Krishna name in particular. And Hare Krishna Mantra they have given. They said, Rupa Goswami 
has described Chaitanya Mahaprabhu walking to Puri with a string, with knots on that string, and counting, Uchai Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Ram Hari Ram 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 Hari Hari, loud chanting of the holy name. Oh, if we chant Japa loudly, that is Kirtan. That is a limb of Kirtan. If we chant Japa silently, that is the limb of Smaranam, Dhyan, meditation. So Mahaprabhu, there's some evidence, was doing Kirtan, loud chanting of Hare Krishna Mahamantra. This then, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has emphasized, this Hare Krishna Mahamantra. We find it so far-reaching is this chanting of Hare Krishna Mahamantra in Gaudiya Sampradaya. It is actually a Nam-mantra. A mantra means uh, it ha- has certain, certain elements. It's a particular formula, arrangement of words, the principle of which is the name that's in the mantra. But it's a particular arrangement. The deity is there, the beej is there, a petition is there in that mantra. In our Diksha mantra, our nature is there. What is our relationship with Krishna Nam that will be drawn out from that mantra? Krishna is Krishna. Nam is Krishna himself. What is our relationship? A specific arrangement has been made through the mantra to bring this out. Hare Krishna Mahamantra is a mantra and it's not a mantra. It's an uh, arrangement of, it's just names of God. But it is a very nice arrangement. It is mentioned in the Upanishads also. Ikisodasakam namnam kalikalmashanashanam. Sarva Vedeshu Drishite Hari Krishna Hari Krishna 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 Hari 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 Ram Hari Ram 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 Hari Hari Iti Sarasakam Nam Nam These sixteen names the most efficacious for Kali Yuga Sarva Vedeshu Drishite all the Vedas say this Nikila Shruti Moli Ratnamala as Rupa Goswami said all the Mool Shruti like Gopal Tapani Shruti they sing the virtues of Krishna Nam they place emphasis on this so Hare Krishna Mahamantra, a very nice arrangement of Krishna Nam. So we are stressing this, and this should be heard from, from the Guru also. Sachi Mata was giving milk to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nimai Pandit. At one point he refused. I did not take any milk from her breast. Why? She is not initiated. Advaita came, initiated her into Hare Krishna chanting. Then Mahaprabhu would drink from her breast. So this Nam Prabhu that has taken over the devotee, Dvashnav, we should get that name from him. So in our lineage, Sampradaya, this Hare Krishna mantra, na, it's a Nam mantra, kind of a mantra in a sense, that is most uh, widely chanted. And why? Krishna says in Bhagavatam that, actually the other day I answered a question, on the Sangha, some of you may subscribe to that Sangha that we have on the internet. People ask me questions and I answer. So someone asked me, if you say that women are not less intelligent than men, than men, I said it somewhere. Some people had asked me. But I think that Prabhupada says in his books that women are less intelligent. So how is it that you're con- I think you're contradicting Prabhupada, something like that, when you say you're his disciple. So I asked him, are you more intelligent than every woman on earth? You tell me. Do you follow my reasoning? If we take this statement absolutely, men are more intelligent than women, that means no woman is more intelligent than the least intelligent man on earth. So I, you tell me. 
are you more intelligent than every woman on earth? I said, therefore, these kind of statements of Prabhupada, we have to look at them in terms of time and circumstance, cultural filter through which the knowledge of the guru may descend. Women were never educated, or weren't educated at a certain point, largely. There's different ways to think about it and so forth. And Prabhupada, like any great soul, was very dynamic in his thinking and very flexible. And based on certain information, he would make certain statements, relative statements. If you get other information, oh, then you talk about it in a different way. He would do this on so many topics. So if we have a society full of educated women and so forth, then it has to be thought about differently, obviously. So... In this way, I talked about it. Time and circumstance and cultural considerations and philosophy and Shastra, and we put it all together. And so someone wrote me, then he said, he said, well, you've really skirted around the issue, haven't you? He said, you've really just danced around the issue in so many ways. Why didn't you just come out and say it? Prabhupada was wrong. You really, and he said, Krishna must be laughing in the heavens. <laughs> so I said, actually, it's not so black and white. I wrote back to him. I said, and also, as far as skirting around the issue, as you put it, I said, uh, Krishna has said that parokshavada chap mam priya. He said that parokshavad is priya, very dear to me. Parokshavad means indirect language, speaking about it in a roundabout way, indirectly, not the frankness of American society kind of the in-your-face type of that we're more accustomed to. What's the bottom line? Krishna's very pleased by this. The Vedas, in the secret parts of the Vedas, they speak indirectly, in a roundabout way. You have to pay very close attention. Very close attention. You have to hear regularly, again and again and again, to understand what it is. And so Hare Krishna Mantra is like that. Hare Krishna Ram. Hare means Hari. It's evocative. Oh, Hari. Oh, Krishna. Oh, Ram. But in Gauri Sampradaya, then it, they have analyzed it. There are always saints in their experience, and they have concluded, Oh, Hare means Hara, in evocative. There's a name for Radha. Indirectly, the dance of Radha and Krishna is being described. It is a Sambhog mantra. So there's a Milan. The Milan of Radha and Krishna. Hari Krishna. Hari Krishna. Hari. Hari Krishna. Hari Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hari Hari. <laughs> Hari Ram. Hari Ram. Ram Ram. Hari. Ram and Krishna surrounded by Hari. By Hare. On all sides. Krishna means Krishna. In this sense, Ram means Krishna. Ramana. Surrounded on all sides by, by Hare. Krishna is Hari, but Radha is in this sense, Hare, indirectly, who steals away Krishna. If you say, Radhe Krishna, Radhe Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Radhe Radhe, that would not be as pleasing as Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. You see, this is a theology of Nam. You understand what I'm saying? We spoke beginning. Name is, a, is important. You don't give your name away to anybody because if you give your name, you can everything they can know about you. So we take this to the extreme. We make a theology out of Nam. Then we become, come to this point. Not only Nam is so important. But which Nam? Different types of Nam of God. 
So this Hare Krishna mantra is so pleasing because Radhe Krishna, Radhe Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Radhe Radhe. Radhe is the name for Krishna, but it doesn't tell us what Radhe does. It doesn't tell us that Radha has the power to steal away Krishna. But Hare takes, tells us that. She has the power. Krishna is Hare, he steals away. He can steal anything, but she can steal him. And when we look at Hare in this light, then oh, we are saying such a pleasing thing. Krishna would say, you know that about her? That I'm the supreme God and she can take everything from me. Turn me into a dancing fool. Mahaprabhu has said, who is the guru of Krishna? Radha, not Sandipani Muni. <laughs> As he is dancing, Sai moving. Jagannath is moving according to the dancing of Mahaprabhu, who is in the bhava of Radha. Now the Ratiyatra season is coming. So this Hare Krishna mantra, indirectly mentioning her, very pleasing to Krishna. Because he's hearing, he's pleased. But such a secret thing, everybody's not understanding. This is the specialty of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Also, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami says, I'm going to say everything here, but I'm going to say it in such a way that not everybody can understand. So I'm going to, it's more secret than all the Vedas, this truth about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent and the glories of Harinam. And the secrets of the Vedas are not to be given to just anybody and everybody, for qualified people. But it's come in such a powerful way that I have to give it out, speak it to everybody, I have to say it, but I'm going to say it in such a way that not everybody can understand it. Only people who pay very close attention, who hear about it from a sadhu and serve under his guidance, then they'll be able to understand all these secrets. So in Harinam, for example, we give Harinam to so many people. Chant Hare Krishna. We may chant on the beads and give you chant Hare Krishna in this way, systematically. And after some time, then we call them and we say, now I want to tell you more about Harinam Prabhu. Secret then the Diksha Mantra is given and explained in so much detail. By help of this, which you can draw from Harinam, that is whispered in the ear. So many secrets. So, this is the idea of Nam Dharma, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And in time then, that Sankirtan, by that Diksha Mantra, we'll understand the nature of our relationship with Krishna Prabhu, Lord Krishna. And then we'll do Sankirtan more, but in a specific way. Specific names relative to our sentiments that that may be cultivated and developed and enter into that relationship with Krishna. Then Krishna Nam is still there in the background, energizing that relationship everywhere. Krishna Nam is in for reaching down to the beginners who know nothing, who aren't even interested touching them. And the most awake souls are chanting also in Golok, Hari Krishna Ram. Radha is chanting Hare Krishna mantra also. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Thinking of Hare as Hare. As I said, it's Sambhog mantra, this Hare Krishna mantra. It's the Milan, bringing them together. And we will chant it in separation, in Vipralamba, in mood of separation. This mantra is chanted in Shiva Sangam, in the house of Shiva Thakur, by Mahaprabhu and his eternal associates, and not anybody else could get in. Mother-in-law of Srivastava could try to get in. And Mahaprabhu, why he rejected her, why he couldn't get any ras at that time. It is teaching us, not everybody can get in here. It's a special position. But kind souls sat outside patiently and Mahaprabhu's mercy flowed, overflowed from Srivastava out. And Hari Harai Nama Krishna Yalo Namaha. He took the Hari Nam to the streets and he taught this whole Nam Dharma 
and came full circle all over India, South India, all the way to the tip to Vrindavan and back to Puri. And there Mahaprabhu finished his lila in Vipralamba, showing us the way to enter back into that kirtan, the way we can enter into that kirtan at Sri Vasangam. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, when will me, my pundit, give up the sannyas business Ugh. and come back amongst us and chant in the house of Srivas Thakur as one of us? This is analogous to the gopis praying for Krishna to return to Vrindavan. When will he come back, give up his princely attire, elephants riding, and come cowherding with his friends, meet us on the banks of the Jamuna and Radhakund? Bhaktivinoda is praying, saying, when will Mahaprabhu come back to Nabadweep? We want to enter into that kirtan at Nabadweep at Sri Vasangam. And when the way to go, we have to follow through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's whole teaching of Nam Dharma and come to the point of this chanting in Vipralamba in such separation. That we cannot bear the separation. What is it? Uh, now we see the world is filled with so many opportunities for us. So many prospects. And we are young on top of that. Many, many of us in the world is falling at our feet. You can be, you can do this, you can have that. It's full of prospect. The world had no prospect whatsoever. Empty. There was not a glimmer of light in it. No attraction, nothing. No charm whatsoever. Govinda virahena. Govinda viraha. He was feeling. Govinda Biraha, separation from Govinda, makes the world feel empty. So this is the high side. When we come to this, then we can enter there. Into Shiva Sangam. That is the way. And that means to enter into Vrindavan. Kirtan. So Kirtan is the beginning and Kirtan is the end. This has come to us by the grace of our Guru Parapra. We should try to take advantage of it. A little effort in this connection. You'd be a little bit sober and think about this. This is not This is not just religious dogma. We're talking about very practical. You want to be happy. So how many ways have you tried in the last week, month, year to be happy? Moved here, gone there, changed this, adjusted that, moved your legs to be happy because that position was not comfortable. How much in your mind you're thinking constantly? If I do this, if I go here, I'm doing one thing. It's not satisfying me. So I'm thinking when I'm done with this, I'll do that. And then I'll get be happy. And we can't even pay attention to the one thing that we're doing and find out what's there. If we could pay attention to one, one atom, we find everything is there. Krishna is not somewhere else. He's in every atom. Hmm? But we cannot look so deep. We cannot pay such attention to what's before our eyes. Mind distracted. But Harinam loudly making a sound. Hare Krishna. Devotees are Mahaprabhu making a loud sound. Capture our mind. So we can pay attention to what's at hand. God is everywhere in everything. Guru in everything. I'm servant of all. This is practical. Science. If you want to get, you have to give. Everybody knows. Everyone has experience. Does selfishness make you happy? Do you have any experience? For a moment. But how it makes you feel if you think about it. If you don't think, maybe... But you have to think. If you take from somebody else to get, can you be happy if you think about it? No matter how much you got, if you think about the ramifications, that my getting was at the cost of another's, can any decent person be happy? 
with that? No. I got. But at the, her cost, she lost. So that whole getting is tainted. That should be rejected. And then if we give, we receive intangibly, something intangible, a serenity, a peacefulness. I did the right thing. Everything is belonging to God. These are not objects. When we... Attachment, when we can become attached, we objectify things, and then we we utilize them for ourselves, our play. That means that object, that person, everything we're attached to becomes objectified. It becomes an object for us. The real personality, the life of that thing is taken out. We master, We want to master it, make it dead, a plaything for us. It's diabolical. And as I said earlier, our whole material personality is a composite of all these attachments. It's a meanness, really. It's a kind of a meanness particular kind of meanness that we are. But that's not our authentic self. So we can dismantle all this, these attachments. Very difficult. But Harinam Prabhu is so powerful that we can do that. Dismantle them, reveal them for what they are. The naked form of material attachment. It is very ugly. And when we see that, the real beauty can come out. So this is, this is, if you think about it, it's very practical. It's not just some religious dogma. Everyone wants to be happy. So how happy are you? You tell me. How happy do you want to be? How happy are you? And what to do about that? Mahaprabhu has given an idea. And the reason all of us mostly are here tonight is because we do sense, yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> Real happiness is there in Krishna now. <laughs> we actually believe it. We have some shraddha by the grace of sadhus. So now we should put that into practice once and for all. Any question? Yes. What is the relationship between Namseva and Vaishnava Seva? Well, uh, the, the Vaishnava is the, is the bearer of the Nam. So we chant Harinam because the Vaishnava has told us to and revealed to us so many truths about the Holy Name. So there's no, there's no name without, there's no Namseva without Vaishnava Seva. So we do emphasize that. But the Vaishnavas, if we serve them, we'll hear that they emphasize chanting the holy name. <laughs> they emphasize serving Vaishnavas that we might hear all these things and do them. So that is the relationship. The Vaishnava is the bearer of the name. One reason I ask that is because uh, Guru Maharaj, Shri Maharaj, when giving Harnam Diksha, he says, uh, Swami Maharaj generally has said to chant 16 rounds, uh, but if your service is such that you're fully engaged, that you may chant a minimum of four. So in my, in my opinion, he's, he's stressing seva as a higher position. Well, that's true at a certain point, because we cannot take full advantage of the holy name. So we should do Vaishnav seva. But if we become purified, as we become purified, then we can do real seva by chanting. We can do seva in the Niti Lila through chanting. That is more dear to Krishna than seva that we can do here. That is even higher. But that will all come by serving the Vaishnav. So at a certain point, yes, it's more important. We put down the beads to serve the beck and call of the Vaishnav and Guru because they are the bearers of the name. If we meet Krishna in our sadhana and he asks us to do something, we have to ask him, wait a minute, let me ask my guru if you're the one he's talking about. So that kind of emphasis is important. 
But if we do that nicely, if we serve the Guru and give precedent to the Vaishnav service over Namprabhu, how much Namprabhu, who is Krishna himself, will be pleased with us. Then we can sit once, twice and chant and we'll get so much from that. But mostly people aren't fully engaged in service of the Vaishnavas. They should be chanting at least 16 rounds or, or more than that. And we can also say that service to Krishna, Nam, is is most important. But service to those who are dear to Krishna, Nam, that is more important. So in that sense, if we find a devotee, a real devotee, then he's more. it will be more endearing to Krishna if we serve him. Krishna wants to serve those devotees, but they never accept service. So through us he can serve them and fulfill his desire. But one should not be done at the neglect of the other. We shouldn't. All these things go together.